You're listening to The Luxury Item, the podcast on the business of luxury and the people and companies that are shaping the future of the luxury industry. Here's your host, Scott Kerr. My guest on The Luxury Item is Isamea French, famed makeup artist and founder of her namesake beauty brand, Isamea. As the visionary force behind many of today's iconic fashion magazine covers and campaigns, French has carved out recognition as one of the most progressive makeup artists at large. Much of French's work subverts aesthetic traditions of beauty, instead employing illustration, abstraction, and structural modes to establish characters and narratives. French has been a beauty trailblazer since she broke onto the scene as beauty editor of ID Magazine back in 2014. She has risen to fame as one of the industry's leading makeup artists, working with celebrities like Bella Hadid, Madonna, and Rihanna. Isamea French created makeup looks for the biggest brands at Fashion Week, consulted for beauty brands like Tom Ford, Yves Saint Laurent, and Louis Vuitton, and served as global beauty director of Burberry Beauty. Until launching her own brand, she helped steer the creative vision behind Barreto Makeup. Isamea was just named Off-White's first ever beauty curator, where she'll oversee the creative product and packaging development of the label's new beauty line. Welcome to the luxury item, Isamea. Hi, Scott. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for joining me. So it's exciting times. It's, you know, you're a few months away to the first anniversary of launching your own beauty brand. So how's the ride been so far? Well, I think um, it's been amazing. It really has been amazing. Um, many highs, many lows, but I guess it's important to remind yourself that lows kind of are, are the reason that we do this, you know, to kind of learn from them and um, gain experience and ultimately kind of do better. So it's been an incredible journey so far. What are some of the highs, the high points? Well, I think, you know, it's, um, I've been, I've been in this industry for a very long time and I've, um, you know, I've worked in this way for many other brands uh, for a number of years now. Um, I've worked with Tom Ford and Burberry and, and a few others. And I think it was just very nice to be able to have really a, a true version of myself coming through in a product and in the marketing and in, in, in everything that I do, you know, working working with other brands is is great because you kind of exercise a different sort of perspective and approach, but it's always quite liberating, isn't it, when you do your own thing. And do you think your aesthetic approach has evolved now that you have your own beauty brand? Has it changed the way, you know, you do business, the people who you deal with? I think I'm very fortunate that I've, because I've been doing it for such a long time and I've had to deal with, you know, pretty kind of big clients and, um, I've had to have a lot of responsibility for certain things in the past. Um, I've gained a great education in that side of things. But I think in terms of aesthetic, it's been an interesting journey in understanding what the consumer wants, because you can go into business and you can launch a creative project and sort of think, this is how I want to do it. And this is what I like. But it's been really interesting learning what people respond to and actually you know, sometimes it isn't always the mainstream, the kind of the commercial thing. People, at least in my experience, like weird. They like to be shocked. They like, right. you know, the kind of the fun stuff. And so it's been, it's been really interesting, you know, exploring that. I read in an interview where you were talking about your career and you said, I'm a makeup artist, but it's always been a bit of a stretch for me to quote that as my job because it wasn't my job ever at the beginning. You became that. 
Yeah, I, I, I became it. And I think, um, I think still in my practice, I do things outside of just makeup. Um, you know, I do, I'm a creative director, I'm an art director. Um, I, I make films and music videos. And I think, you know, my background was always in kind of fine art and, um, and 3D design. That's what I did at university. So I never went into <laughs> with the intention of becoming a makeup artist. It's just, I guess that's kind of where my talent fell and what at the time became the right place to put my kind of creative spirit into. So I suppose that's why, because if I just called myself a makeup artist, I'd, uh, it feels very limiting. Do you know what right. I mean? And yep. um, it's nice to, yeah, to be able to feel like you do more than just one thing. And when did your work first show up in fashion magazines? I forget the date exactly, but I would have been in my very early 20s and I wasn't a practicing makeup artist. I was straight out of art school. I was in a theater company. I was doing face and body painting to, you know, get my, pay my rent. And somebody within my kind of friendship circles, he's a photographer, he's called Matthew Stone and an artist, sorry, he's an artist um, called Matthew Stone, was doing a shoot for ID magazine and he needed a body painter. And um, I'm pretty sure my going rate was probably uh, a drink in the pub afterwards. <laughs> at that point, <laughs> I'm realizing why I got so many gigs so, so early on. So it was a very, a very uh, cheap ride. But um, but he asked me to come in and do some body painting on the shoot and I did it. And that really was the moment where I realized that kind of this fun side job that I've been doing, I could actually make a career out of it and other people were doing that too. So um, yeah, that was my first uh, experience in, in, in the world of magazines. So do you think that was a turning point for you, which accelerated the awareness of your talents to a, a broader audience? I think there were, I think, I think that definitely did help because I know after that, I think when I then realized from that experience that makeup and body painting and face painting, whatever you wanted to call it, art on the face, um, when I realized that that was something I could do, I started sort of pursuing it and doing my own shoots. And, um, and I think that actually quite soon after that, I did a couple of other shoots for ID magazine um still you know erring on the side of of painting and and face painting and stuff but it did it def that definitely helped to get the ball rolling not just kind of personally but I guess people saw what I was doing and you quickly built a reputation as one of the most innovative minds in beauty and became a creative catalyst for so many companies so why was the right time to finally flip the switch and start your own line I think personally it was the right time because I you know I've done I've uh, I've worked with so many brands now doing what I do for my own brand in sort of varying degrees whether it's the creative direction of the campaigns or it's the product development or it's the um, you know social strategies or whatever it is and I, I think it just got to a point you know COVID happened I had a lot more time on my hands and um, I just kind of decided that you know why why not <laughs> I you know I had I had a couple of years where I was able to start kind of brainstorming and and working you know putting a plan in place I suppose for when we came out the other side and um it was a bit of a blessing really I don't know I could have really taken that time to do that 
at any other stage of my life because I'm I'm always so busy. I'm traveling so much. So did you see any kind of gap in the beauty market that you felt was kind of ripe for the taking? Um, well, definitely in as much as I felt there was so much that could be done, you know, in packaging and product design and development. I mean, for me, I've always found it so baffling that, you know, fashion gets to have all the fun and you know, of course, it's a, it's very different because you wear clothes, but you kind of wear, you know, you wear makeup too. And I think studying product design really gave me a sense of um, the importance of having a real kind of personal connection to the objects that you have around you. You know, they tell stories, they um, can enhance your life, they can, um, you know, help define you. And I think just for me, it felt like there was a huge gap in the makeup market for doing really interesting things because, you know, we, these are things we carry with us all the time. They're our talisman of the time, you know, right. they make us feel good. They're symbolically loaded. There's makeup's actually very, in a, in a bigger sense, so a quite powerful thing. And um, the beauty industry, as you know, is I think the only industry to survive the recession. So there's obviously a lot to our relationship with cosmetics and, um that side of things so I think for me it just made sense to to do something more with something that felt very close to everybody's kind of um I suppose close to home I, I don't know a better way of putting it that was so important why do we treat it with why is everything so disposable and so kind of cheaply made you know if you're carrying them around you that they're on your table, <laughs> on your shelf at home. So that's kind of where my brain went. And as you mentioned before, you work with the likes of respected names like Burberry, YSL Beauty, Louboutin, Tom Ford, Tom Brown, Byredo. What do you mm. learn from working alongside these iconic luxury brands that help inform the way you went mm. to market and building your brand? Well, I mean, I've learned so much. I'm so grateful for all, you know, all of the, the brands that you've just mentioned. I think I'm one person, you know, and I'm a creative person and I can be very kind of, um, you know, mile a minute. I have my own aesthetic tastes. But when you work for brands like that, they're so well put together. They're so well managed. Um, they really, they do luxury so well. And I think for me, it was really important you know, to be, um, maybe it's a bit cliche, you know, I am a bit of a scrappy artist. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to be in an environment that shows you how to do things in a very different way was, um, was kind of priceless. So I think working with Burberry, everything is so meticulous and so beautiful and so, you know, so well kind of curated, I suppose. Um, and, and the same with Tom Ford. It's really, it's really great to have these different lenses on beauty um, because they're all different. You know, Byredo is different again, and I really sh helped shape that Byredo lens. But um, I think it's just you kind of just gain an insight into all of the different ways that kind of the different, yeah, I suppose, perspectives that, that people have on beauty and what works and what doesn't. And you were at Burberry as global beauty director at a time when Ricardo Tisci was spearheading mm. Burberry's creative transformation and revitalized mm. Burberry's brand image. 
How do you mm. work with Ricardo in translating his vision and direction of the fashion brand to, to beauty? Yeah. Well, funnily enough, um, the fashion brand and the beauty brand were, were actually quite separate. They were kept quite separate. So, of course, there was crossover when we did shows and that kind of thing. But on a kind of day to day level with, you know, the social strategies, the the uh, the shoots and the campaigns, they they were very quite different in spirit. I think Ricardo is a really, really brilliant and interesting designer because he kind of uh he's actually very very good at doing um sort of minimalism in a way and that and actually that's kind of what I took away from um the Burberry beauty aesthetic it's 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 really his version of beauty I think is actually very very natural so mm -hmm. often it was um the problem we were you know you you solve problems I'm a problem solver in my job and it was how to how to get makeup into a onto a face where the ideal is just natural beauty <laughs> somebody that doesn't wear makeup raw kind of feminine qualities how do you put stuff on that and keep that feeling as kind of timeless as somebody who doesn't wear any makeup so it was quite it's quite interesting working with him and, and it definitely changed my approach to um to makeup because because he is such a minimalist and were your creative boundaries more limited working on a heritage brand well, they perhaps, uh, they, they, you know, it's just different, really, I suppose, not for the shows. I mean, we did some really wild things for the shows, and that's kind of where we got to have a lot of fun. Um, one of the, you know, for one of the campaigns, we, we I stuck shells all over a model's faces and created these kind of amazing um, sort of oceanic mask type creatures. And then another show, we gave all the models these big prosthetic deer ears. So mm -hmm. there was a lot of, we were having a lot of fun with it, but I think, again, Ricardo's got that kind of maximalist, minimalist quality to his work. And um, yeah, so it's, you know, it's always a bit of a challenge trying to figure out what's going on in someone else's brain, isn't it? Right. And your debut collection dropped last summer. It was titled mm. Industrial. The campaign around industrial derives inspiration from the world of BDSM, machinery uh -huh. and fetish. And you chose renowned fashion photographer Steve Klein to shoot the campaign. His style just seems like a perfect match. And the packaging also encapsulates the same hardcore theme. So right out of the gate, what statement did you want to make about this collection along with its supporting mm. campaign to convey about your approach to beauty? Yeah, I think, you know, I'd always had an I this idea that when I launched my own beauty brand, the hardest thing for me to uh, define was what my makeup might look like sitting on a shelf in 10 years time you know like I I, I work in fashion we do you know four uh, two to four seasons a year you're constantly doing new things seeing new things you know the climate's changing all the time so it it didn't make sense for me to do a you know a one look makeup brand I wanted to have fun with it as well you know I wanted to do these collections that might change some might stay some might go away collaborations um, because that's how I work in my regular life uh, you know as a makeup artist and that's how we all kind of work in fashion so I had these various ideas of collections that I wanted to do and wanted to um, kind of launch with but I decided to to have 
you know, I decided to release the industrial collection first because it just felt like the the most radical, different. It, it felt so radically different to anything I'd seen in the beauty market. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still think it's very, very different. You know, like you say, it references kind of BDSM um, culture and it's black and it's kind of latex and rubber inspired. It's quite sexy. And, um, you know, there's a black kind of lip gloss in the collection. And yeah, you've seen the campaign. It's all um, yeah. on. <laughs> right. But um, for me, you know, I, what I had to make a statement with it, you know, because what would be the point? And I think people were expecting me to as well. So it felt like, felt like a no-brainer to launch with something as kind of um, extreme as that, I suppose. And when you launched the collection, you said, I'm creating my own world for a new generation of makeup lovers. Who is this new yeah. generation that you're speaking to? Well, I think, you know, as far as I'm aware, makeup is incredibly repetitive. You know, it's, it's you know, how many ways can you skin a cat? How do you reinvent the wheel? The same with makeup you're using the same it's not like fashion you know you can't add shape to a lipstick (laughs) and wear it back to front or whatever it's it's like you have these a kind of a finite in a way number of products from lipsticks to lip glosses to whatever a finite number of colors and so makeup for me became very very uninspiring and I think for a lot of people it became quite sort of uninspiring and I think it wasn't just about a new generation of makeup lovers, but I feel like I'm presenting a new way of of doing makeup. I don't think I'm necessarily, I don't think I, I'm not, you know, anti-makeup. I'm just anti-industry, you know. Um, I think people respond well to new and exciting things. And for me, that, that lay in the approach to, you know, the packaging design. You know, people are very afraid to take risks, but without risks, you don't ever kind of gain new ground. And it's interesting, your business model also takes a different tack. Instead of all at once availability, SMA operates, and correct me if I'm wrong, it operates a drop model of limited edition products, each with its own theme. Industrial was the first drop. Why did you decide to take that approach? Well, we we initially when I when I first talked about um, the uh, you know launching launching sorry the, the collections I I wanted to do a drop model approach but actually I've kind of decided that these these collections are working so well and people have responded so well to them it would just be a shame to make them limited edition right you know, pull it away um, it would especially you know with the latest collection we've sold out so many times it it kind of doesn't make sense to 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 um to do such limited things i think the thing that i don't want to do is make so many products that then there's a huge amount of waste you know and i really try as much as i can with every collection to find sustainable ways of um of designing packaging so some of the palettes for example you can reuse as jewelry cases when you know when you finish with the eyeshadows you can flip out the inside and it becomes a box or like the industrial collection, you could reuse the metal components as earrings or whatever you wanted to do. So I try, it's, you know, the idea of sustainability is a very long-term uh, goal for me, but it's really important that for me, my angle is to have products where you're able to reuse certain things from them or components. So it's, so it's not always about waste. 
so yeah at the moment we are we are doing capsules but they're not quite limited edition right so um but it's important for me to you know keep being creative and inventive and that's why why did the capsules yeah 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 so is it challenging to develop beauty products in such short windows um yes it is hell (laughs) (laughs) no it's not hell it's um i think uh you know my team might say it's hell because there's so much to do but um it's it's great you know because then you're not sitting on the same old thing the whole time you know it's very exciting um it's always very exciting when you see the prototypes you know it's very of course it 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 uh you know there's a lot more stress that comes with doing a lot more work but ultimately I'm not in, I'm not here to lead an easy life. (laughs) I'm here to try and, you know, do interesting things. And um, so I'm going to continue doing that for a while, I think. So it's almost a year into your business. And who do you think your customer base is today? And how closely does it match to who you thought it would be before you launched? Well, one thing's for sure. I didn't think I'd see as many grannies carrying around a penis-shaped lipstick as I have done. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's got that. That's that was a shocker, that right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's nice to think that the demographics kind of broadening. Um, I really, you know, I did think that it would have been a kind of a very Gen Z millennial audience, but actually, you know, because the the products that we're making are they're quite beautiful. Well, they are. They're beautiful products. They are well designed. They look good in your handbag. I think actually the age range is is everything from kind of 16 up to women in their kind of 50s and, you know, 60s even, not not 50s, 60s. Um, I have lots of recurring customers who are um, in their 60s who love, you know, the Wildstar collection has really captured that audience, funnily enough. It's just nice thinking that it can be appreciated by, you know, lots of different people. You know, it's interesting, the pandemic disrupted many of the daily routines and habits that molds a person's identity. And coming out of the Mm. pandemic, consumers were redefining who they are and, you know, realizing that they do not have to be the same person they were in the past. And they've been Mm. more experimental, more creative, and not adhering to traditional standards. Have you seen a rise in this expressive beauty? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Totally. I mean, before the pandemic, I set up a company. Well, it was a sister magazine to Dave's magazine. It was Dave Beauty because I had realized that, you know, there were this whole hundreds, thousands of young people who were completely sort of underrepresented within the beauty community that were doing all of this amazing stuff. You know, the rise of the selfies, rise of social media and, and makeup at home and creativity and that kind of thing. And these people were not being given a platform or any kind of way to show and express it other than maybe an Instagram. So I set up Dave Beauty really with with this in mind as like a legitimate space for the, you know, the young kids in the beauty community to share and, you know, be kind of, um, you know, exposed essentially. And I think that was just elevated even further into lockdown because people just didn't have anything to do. You know, jobs were taken away. And what do you do when you're a creative person sitting at home? Well, lots of people turned to themselves and picked up makeup brushes and got really, really experimental and creative. And um, and it was just amazing. So I think there was that huge push towards doing quite exciting, radical things, uh, which I think was really in part driven by by COVID. 
And then there was the other side coming out of that, where there was, I suppose, almost like a, 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 I wouldn't say backlash, but another kind of extreme where people went totally minimal and had maybe more of a, you know, took things down a notch, realized maybe they didn't need that much makeup, or maybe it was more important to look good from the inside out and took up you know cooking and did more exercise and put the foundation down and kind of embraced who they were I think there were these two quite con- you, you you kind of maybe fell into one or two camps again the kind of the minimalist or the maximalist and in discussing the creative process you said in an interview if you want to create anything new you always have to look outside of beauty uh, and that gets harder and harder for us but if you put a different different inputs in, different outputs will come out. So where do you look outside of the beauty arena to spark the creative process and explore new possibilities? Yeah, I mean, you know, everywhere, really, everything from conversations to, you know, traveling is one of the most important things, I think, for creativity, not just visually seeing new things, but experiencing things, tasting new things, hearing new things, you know, just taking your whole physical and sort of sensorial body out of the mundane of every of every day because I really you know it is it's it's as simple as what you put in will kind of um determine what comes out of you so yeah read look at stuff travel I really really can't like stress that enough and um and just get try new things you know because I think the brain doesn't it doesn't work necessarily in a linear way I think by taking up a different hobby your your brain will be you know processing things in a new way and fundamentally that will have knock-on effects on how you approach other things so you know just live a life of experience your second collection, Wildstar, which you just mentioned, had a cowgirls theme. And now you've yeah. been getting a lot of attention around your latest collection, Lips, which dropped in December, and it ratchets up the Not Safe for Work up a few notches. And the collection consists of refillable lipsticks that come in an anatomically correct phallic-shaped tubes. And that's quite mm-hmm. a reroute from, you know, the rhinestone girl, cowgirls. Yeah. So why the male form theme for this collection? Well, you know, for the industrial collection, we did a female torso um, and it was very kind of, yeah, there was a lot of kind of feminine uh, elements to the to the industrial. And I mean, listen, you can't get around the the obvious fact that a, a penis it makes a very good shape for a lipstick. <laughs> I mean, listen, it is what it is. There are, people love to try and sort of analyze this and get uh, get uh, intellectualize the whole thing, but it's very straightforward. <laughs> a penis makes perfect sense as a lipstick. <laughs> and I'm surprised that no one had done it before. <laughs> so when it comes to the global fashion scene, politics is interwoven into the bones of collections in the past. You know, you've done the makeup at runway shows that some mm. socioeconomic overtones were there even two of your beauty collections have explored these issues. How important is it for you to participate in these socio-political conversations? You know, it's a, it's a tricky one. I think as soon as you become a brand, you have to be very, very careful. You know, it's something I've become aware of and it's, it's been one of the kind of the, the more challenging aspects to launching your own brand. You know, my personal voice has to be quietened now because I represent something much bigger um and 
I think, you know, I've worked with Vivian Westwood for years. She right. was a huge, you know, proponent of activism. And, you know, she was, you know, the leading person in, in the fashion world who was a, who was a keen activist. And, um, and other people as well. But I think, you know, for me, the way I do my part is by celebrating the things that are important, diversity and inclusivity in all aspects of the brand and the people we work with and the relationships. But also, you know, I, I support charities with every single, um, you know, every single collection that I do. I mm-hmm. donate to a, to a charity and raise awareness about them we make videos to encourage people to you know uh to educate people about what these charities are doing and so for me that's kind of where I'm able where I feel really good about being able to to kind of do my bit and talk about the things that matter to me and charity is a great way to do that you know one thing I noticed in all your drops so far the unique packaging for the products can also double as these little collectibles and items that can be repurposed. Can you talk about this packaging strategy? Yeah, well, we, you know, like I'd mentioned before that um, sustainability is is complicated and it's a, you know, it's a long-term goal. There's lots of things as a brand that factor into what is sustainability? What does it mean to you? You know, there are many different approaches um, to sustainability and, you know, what's my angle on it? Well, as much as I can, I use materials that are, um, I, you know, I make better choices with of my materials. I might use um, recycled plastics, for example, or perhaps I'll use glass instead of plastic when I can. And again, you know, not to overproduce um, and therefore create the potential for waste in the packaging. Um, but one of the things that I, you know, create a solution to this, I, I thought about quite early on was to, in the collections, design in such a way that, like you say, people wouldn't want to throw these objects away, um, that they can be repurposed and given a second life. So I think, you know, the, the phallic lipsticks, a great one because it's such a, a heavy kind of industrial art object. I'd find it challenging to think that people would just dispose of it. You know, it's a really kind of a, a great, thing to have at home you know on your on your table or whatever and then the same with say the wild star palette when you when you've used it you can pop out the insert and it becomes a jewelry box you don't have to throw it away so that was my that's one of my angles on how I like to try and reduce waste essentially have you noticed your customers pick up on those those that collectible strategy yeah well I I think um I think you know, I've, especially with the, the latest collection, people are just really enjoy, you know, people just really enjoy the products. Right. And um, yeah, I think, I think I, I'd be actually interested to investigate a little bit further into how people are responding to, um, to that, because I'm hoping that, yeah, I'm hoping that people are, are aware, are more aware that um, that's kind of the approach. So you're talking about Vivian Westwood, and obviously she's played an incredibly influential role in fashion and beauty. And I know she was a big influence of yours. You were fortunate enough to collaborate with her before she passed away. Can you talk about mm-hmm. how you brought Vivian Westwood's collection to life? Um, Vivian Westwood's collection? Do you mean her fashion brand? When oh, I fashion brand. Shows? Oh, do, yeah, yeah in, the sh- in the shows, yeah. 
Yeah, well, actually, this uh, this year was really special, obviously, because um, it was the first show since her passing, and and it was um, it was a very thoughtful show, and and you know, actually, the makeup references, you know, before the show, the, you get together with the hair and makeup team and the styling teams, and you discuss the collection and you try out different things, and and this year the mood board was Vivian, you know. Vivian had her own incredible style and approach to hair and makeup. And so we just had this huge kind of poly board filled with pictures of Vivian and her, you know, her mad kind of two-tone lip liner and her wobbly eye pencils and all of these really iconic, iconic images that I suppose it's you 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 never see her all together all at once. And and it was incredible. So we we took her directly as an inspiration and um, the way it often works with with the Westwood team is that you know you try things and you make some suggestions and you know by the end of you know however long you've been there you know four or five hours nobody has a clue what they're doing (laughs) (laughs) nobody has a clue what they're doing and actually it all comes together in the show and backstage at the show and I've kind of gotten used to that now I used to be very sort of anxious about it and feel like oh we need to know what we're doing but there's such a great level of trust between everybody and I think the thing about the Westwood brand is that you know part of the the engaging thing about them is their choice of model talents and they always the casting's always amazing and you have you know, new faces, old faces, quirky faces, you know, whatever, very, very diverse and exciting. And so it's sometimes actually really hard to plan makeup when you don't have the model in front of you. So it's very much a collaborative process before the show happens, where I do my interpretation of what I think will look good on the model. I'll show it to the stylist. She might like it, she might not. And we just kind of work as a team um, together and and I've really come to kind of just trust the process now. So last month it was announced that you joined Off-White Beauty um, as their curator. You've already created looks at Off-White's show in Paris. Can you talk about how that came about and what you've been tasked to do for Off-White's growing beauty business? Yeah, so gosh, it's such an exciting time actually. You know, I had the great, great pleasure and honor of working with Virgil when he was at Louis Vuitton I Mm -hmm. I would do his men's shows so you know fortunately I've actually spent some time with him and I feel just very very honored to be part of this kind of creative team which is helping to kind of redefine what the off-white brand is all about Um, I'll be working on the designing of the packaging of course the actual products themselves I guess I'll be working on the fragrance I'll be working on Anything else, I suppose, that falls into the category of, of sort of beauty and cosmetics and um, sort of home, essentially, you know, and I'll be working closely with IB. He's a creative director mm-hmm. there right. and his team, you know, I guess on the campaigns and it'll be, you know, it's early days and we are developing things at the moment. And it's just it's very exciting. So hopefully, hopefully by this time next year, we'll be able to um, to talk about it again and you'll be able to see what we've been up to. <laughs> oh, I'm looking forward to that. So let's actually, yeah. let's talk about 2023. So do you have a date locked in for your next drop? Yes. So I am launching a new lipstick as part of the the new lips collection, the phallic mm-hmm. shaped lips, um, in, on April the 12th. And it's called Flamingo. 
Um, so that'll be out Flamingo. And then we have another drop in June, which I'm very excited about, which I don't think I can share just yet. Uh, but we have a full calendar, essentially. And, um, and I'm currently working on a documentary about global beauty aesthetics and where do our beauty ideals come from, which has also been very exciting and very kind of interesting and sort of um, in some ways help with what I'm doing for my brand at the moment. When are you hoping to finish the documentary? Well, that's a very good question. We have started filming um, and I imagine we will continue filming throughout the year and, and into next year as well. So I'll keep you posted. Isamea, my final question is the luxury item question, which I ask all my guests. If you were stranded on a deserted island and you can only have one single luxury item with you, what would that luxury oh. item be? It can't be any form of air or water transportation to get you off that deserted island or anything that requires mobile service so you can call your friends or family to get you off that island. It's just you deserted on an island. What would that one luxury item you would like to have with you? Oh, it would have to be. Could I say music? Music has to be. Okay, we'll say music. The luxury item. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> music will keep me going for a long time. Isamea French, globally renowned makeup artist and founder of Beauty Line Isamea. Good luck with your continued success. And thank you so much for joining me on The Luxury Item. Thank you. Such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode of the Luxury Item Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this useful and entertaining, I would be really grateful if you can share it with a friend or colleague. I would love it if you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other listeners find us. The Luxury Item Podcast is a production of Silvertone Consulting. I'm your host, Scott Kerr. Until next time. <laughs>